Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to Girl on Fire podcast on the Believe Network, New York's number one podcast network for personal growth. This is your host, Kirsten Franklin. All right, guys, on this week's episode, I am talking to an empowering woman who is leading an empowerment program for male survivors of sexual violence. Our guest is a former Royal Canadian Mounted Police officer who specialized in sex crimes. Uh, After retiring, she went on to get her PhD in counseling psychology from the University of Alberta, and she's been breaking barriers ever since. She was actually one of the first female authors of a book dedicated solely to the topic of her research about sexual abuse against men Uh, and boys. And she's with us today to discuss and shed light on this subject and talk a little bit about her journey. Please welcome Dr. Kelly Palfey. Thanks, Kristen. Thank you. Happy to be here. Awesome. I love it. I love it. I'm really happy to have you here. You know, you and I were chatting a little bit before this and it's such an interesting topic, but before we even get there, would love to learn a little bit more about you, right? How does one kind of go from you know, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, where you're where you're seeing all these sex crimes, and then turn that into specifically shedding light on such an important and underrepresented topic in media today about the sexual abuse, you know, uh, and violations against men. So, tell me a little bit about your journey and how you got there. Okay, I guess like to start at the beginning, I guess you know, as a kid, I dreamt of being a criminal profiler, right? I, I grew up watching Silence of the Lambs over and over again. I'm fascinated by <laughs> I love it. <laughs> So I became, I became an RCMP and, you know, I mean, I remember interviewing them and they were interviewing me and I'm like, but you'll let me go back to school, right? Like I can become a psychologist, right? And they're like, eh, maybe. So, you know, so <laughs> I, but I knew that you had to become an RCMP officer in order to, be, in Canada, in order to become a criminal profiler. So. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I uh, joined. So the wait, RCMP. hang on one second before, before we move on, just for the Americans or non-Canadians, explain to us what that is. Uh, the RCMP, it's yep. like the equivalent of the FBI in Canada. It's a federal police department. So we handle all international cases in any area in Canada that doesn't have their own police department, basically. Okay, awesome. So I took an interest in sex crimes very early in my career and worked my way into um, the Integrated Child Sexual Exploitation Unit when I had about, I think, eight-year service when I went there. Um, so that's part of the Major Crimes Behavioral Sciences Unit. And I was still trying to get into, you know, becoming a criminal profiler. They were training me to be a subject matter expert, simply, honestly, because the doctors weren't willing to touch um, sexual maturation ratings of children, right? So sadly, that's what they were training me to be an expert. And I had flown to Ottawa and one of our local Canadian hockey heroes came and actually gave us a private lecture about the sexual abuse that he had experienced at the hands of his coach. And been in about 2004. So this was a long time ago. And I was blown away by his story, right? It just, it broke my heart. Because he was talking about, you know, his, he, his family had been in poverty and his new hockey career was literally lifting his family out of poverty. And his parents and the whole community were super proud of him. And so he didn't want to disappoint them by telling him about his abuse. And also he... Um, He said that he felt like a few of the other parents uh, of his teammates kind of must have known that something was going on, but they did nothing. And that Mm. just ripped my guts out. 
So prior to becoming a police lady, I'd been a corrections officer. And I'd remember wondering, like, why are there so many men in prison, like compared to women? I don't get it. Why so many more men than women? And then when he started telling his story about how, you know, he became um, a substance abuser and stuff because of his abuse, that I was just like, the lights went on. And he also talked about living a double life. And he said, you know, like on one hand, he was a pro hockey player, but on the other hand, he was a victim and being victimized. And at the time I was putting up with quite significant bullying of my own. In fact, I was sitting there next to, next to a supervisor who I might actually met on a dating site and refused to date. And now he's my boss. So you can, that was like a minor, <laughs> right? that was such a minor part of my story, but I mean, I was in major crimes kind of the, you know, on the top of my game career wise. And I would go home and bawl my eyes out every day almost because I was being bullied and I, I couldn't sleep. My health was terrible. You and know, bullied was, how? Like just because you were the one of the few women there or like bullied in what sense? Um, you know, honestly, I, t- I signed a non-disclosure clause, so I'm really okay. not supposed to talk about it because I did sue them and they paid for grad school. So yay, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Part of my journey. But I mean, yeah, just... by exclusion like being actually that was a huge one being passed over for things just you know I'll just jealousy is a really ugly thing I was I'm a small town girl I didn't know we weren't supposed to all get along you know and I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional well we are supposed to all get along I don't think everybody else got the memo you know what I mean (laughs) I mean I, I had grown up in a pretty dysfunctional house so I honestly I didn't know how to stand up for myself in that environment you know and you know how to handle anything the general public threw at me, but when you're being bullied by your supervisors, that's a whole nother ball game. Yeah. Especially I like, so he talked about leading this double life and a little piece of me felt like I got that, right? Like, I, yeah. so, I mean, I remember thinking like, man, society has just failed you. And like, this could be everywhere, you know? And so at the time I was also, or around the same time, I was also foul coordinating the RCMP's first sex tourism charge, we called it. So when a Canadian travels abroad for exploiting a child, he can be charged as if he did those offenses in Canada. So I was coordinating all the, that file and, you know, we had hundreds of victims and my supervisor told me, don't worry about the boys. And I didn't even question it at the time, you know? And then fast forward, I started my master's degree initially in part because you had to have a master's degree to get into the program for the criminal profiling. So that was why I started my master's degree. Yeah. And then I start to, you know, just here, I had a supervisor that worked at an agency called the BC Society for Male Survivors of Sexual Abuse. And I just became really aware of the prevalence of male sexual abuse. And then of course there was deep conviction about having said, don't worry about the boys, you know, And, and like, you know, I was supposed to be the expert, right? Like we were the experts. Like, so basically, so my, my, my drive to investigate this, uh, to research this during my PhD was because, you know, we were supposed to be the experts and that's, we didn't know anything, right? Like, yeah, so new. And, you know, I just thought like if, if Sheldon, Sheldon Kennedy was the pro hockey player that came and spoke to us, if these were his reasons, like there must be other people with different reasons. So I just said like, I want to blow the lid off this. Right. And I, I ended up losing my career to the bullying. Like it just got, it got ugly. They, they basically told me I wasn't welcome to come back to work because I'd whistleblown. And well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was naive. I didn't know that that would happen. I was naive. I thought, oh, they want me to tell the truth and everything will get better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> and like I said, I was a small town Saskatchewan girl, pretty naive playing in the big league. So yeah. 
Um, yeah, so I ended up having to leave my job. My doctor made me leave actually because my my brain was shutting down. I had yeah. severe loss. So so I was clinically depressed, right? Like I was like, what am I? Well, how do you go from working in the child sexual exploitation unit to like a menial job, right? Like I needed yeah. something to be painful. Yeah. So honestly, it's literally what brought me to my knees. Like, God, if you're real, I need something to be passionate about, right? And so it's like it's like he dropped this little reminder. What about that Sheldon Kennedy um, lecture mm-hmm. you heard? Yeah, and, and like this little light went off inside of me, and I was like, Oh my gosh, I could do this! Like, yep. I could make a difference. And that's really how I got started. Honestly, I love that. Well, I love that. You know, I just actually heard something this morning. It was like a mini replay of something that Dr. Joe Vitali said, and he was just commenting and talking about following your passion and how that exact kind of thing happened to him. It happened to me. It happens to like everyone I know, like, (laughs) it's like, if you listen to it and you love it, just go do it. There's a reason. I know. I was like, I don't even care if I get rich doing this. I just, I need that satisfaction, you know, like, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I had Mm -hmm. said to myself, like, what's the only thing that would be better than this, you know, better than being an RCMP in the major crimes behavioral sciences unit. And I was like, I could do that. Right. Right. (laughs) But that's it because our minds are so focused on the thing that we think we want, the loss of potentially not getting that thing that we've been aiming for for so long that sometimes we're blind, we're deaf, we can't hear the message. And sometimes we hear it and we ignore it because we're not sure or we're just so focused on something else. So luckily you heard it and followed it, you know? I mean. Yeah, or we get scared of how much work it's going to be, right? So, I mean, I knew I had four to eight years of school in front of me and I just said, okay, that's my next full-time job. Like, I just treated it like a job. I mean, normally you don't have to work 80 hours (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, former lawyer here. Yes, you do. <laughs> oh, sorry. With the exception of being a lawyer, yes. <laughs> or an accountant during tax season. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's really, I, I love this subject matter, not because it's so positive and awesome, but because, I mean, it's so necessary right now. I happen to be in the midst of writing a fiction book that I'm pimping out to like, oh, bad use of words. <laughs> that I am uh, exploring um, having it made into a movie or a TV series. And I've been noticing lately, Netflix, man, they're killing it. They're, they're really on top of their game. The people that they're hiring to produce things and the things they're producing, even if it's only slightly touched upon this, Mm -hmm. the human trafficking, the sex tourism is really something that they're hitting on a lot. And sometimes it's just a little tiny sidebar sometimes it's the main thing and it's so great because it really needs a lot of light shed on it and Mm -hmm. people don't realize that first and foremost middle-aged male americans are the number one consumers of human trafficking and actually a large amount of those who are human trafficked are actually young boys Oh yeah. Um, we know yeah. very well about, you know, California always being number one somehow <laughs> around the globe with all of these things. And we do hear so often about the women, but yeah. the men are out there too. For um, sure. Even yeah. in this situation. So yeah, tell me a little bit about, you know, um, actually you had written a book. So the book that you had written, uh, tell me a little bit about that. And first, what's the title of the book? For some reason, I'm not seeing it here. I know I read it. <laughs> well, right over my shoulder, there's my poster of my book. It's called Yay. Men Too, Unspoken Truths About Male Sexual Abuse. Okay. So basically it's my dissertation in layman's terms. So, right, right, right. <laughs> you know, four years trying to make it sound academic and then two years trying to make it sound 
labeled. Right. 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 So it, it is my research um, in regards to why boys and men don't commonly come forward or don't come in the past, haven't come forward. Like they've struggled yeah. with coming forward basically. And, and it's really like, it's to, it's to support male survivors, but like my real goal with this is to educate the public. Like, okay, if you still don't believe this happens, here's 13 examples of boys that were sexually abused by bio parents, teachers, coaches, right? Like, yeah, but even each other, even each other, you know, I guess males under the age of what, 16, there is a large percentage of them that have abused each other uh, under that well, age. Yeah, it's it's very common for like an older sibling or or even actually I've even heard of younger siblings who've probably been exposed to sexually explicit material, you know, um, yes, forcing themselves on other, on their younger siblings or something, or, you know, usually starts off something like they'll ask them what they know about sex, teach them to masturbate, that kind of thing. And you know, engage in acts of masturbation with them. But, you know, the younger kid typically doesn't know what's happening or just they, even if they know what's happening, they can't even imagine how much it's going to affect them in later years, right? That's why we have age of consent laws, right? Yeah, and that's that's interesting because, you know, we, we look at things, we look at our history, you know, the age in which there wasn't consent anyway, but way back in the day, right? And all of that, and it's interesting because, you know, especially in, well, we'll talk about female sexual abuse, but also in male sexual abuse, there's like a grooming process that goes on. And when they're so young and someone is a, you know, authoritarian figure, someone who is supposed to be trusted, like the doctors for that hockey player, like the doctors for the gymnast, right? Like, like all these things, you know, it's such a psychological process that sometimes you think you're consenting and then you feel guilty and don't even know. And then when you're old enough to kind of really get the bigger picture, it's kind of like, well, wait, what the fuck just happened? You know, and then all that has to come through. So tell me a little bit about, you know, if we're parents and we have young boys, what, and, and they're not talking, right? They're not talking. What would be some of the things we might want to look out for? just to notice. I mean, if anything, I don't know. I think right off the bat proactively, like any situation that feels like it's too good to be true, question it. It probably Mm. is, right? Like, you know, anybody who's volunteering to be the everything for your child, eh, they might have ulterior motives, right? Especially if they don't have children of their own, right? If they have similar age children, it's like, oh yeah, your kids can hop in with mine, they'll go. But if you've got like, uh, you know, I, there was a, a journal article that one of my editors had sent me about, you know, it was a case in the States where the the guy was, you know, claiming to be at retired military and all this damage from the war. And, you know, just being around children is so healthy for me. So the parents bought that, you know, line of crap and let them, you know, yeah, sure. You can drive our kids to school. And, you know, the whole process was the grooming process, right. Which, which is designed to confuse the boys, right. Because mm-hmm. they develop like the same with the Michael Jackson case, right. They de- the boys develop a genuine affection for their, what right. you know, as what turns out to be their offenders. And, you know, so this, this grooming process can last for a long time before offenders ever do anything. And, uh, I mean, things to watch for, you know, in teenage, in teenagers, you want to watch for sudden changes in behavior, sudden changes in interests, sudden changes in interest in hanging out with certain people, or, you know, just, you, you know, like in my book, I talk about a few of the boys that were like, you know, going to church with grandma and then all of a sudden they're smoking drugs and, you know, dark poetry, dark music. And I mean, I think a lot of parents are really quick to just chalk that up to them becoming teenagers. But I mean, typically they don't go through really sudden, quick, drastic changes like that in normal progressions. But, 
you know, when you get those sudden changes in, in older children, um, you know, this unrelenting anger, like the chip on their shoulder that they can't seem to, you know, break through or whatever. A lot of times that's because they don't feel like they can talk about their abuse because they like their offender or something like that. They feel responsible. Like, you know, offenders typically try to portray it as a love affair that just kind of progressed naturally. Right. But it's not the case. Children right. and teens can't adult consent to, you know, sexual actions with supervisors or people a certain number of years older than them. In younger children, things to watch for would be, you know, like really young children might start to say things like, I don't want to go to daycare or I don't like that person or I don't like the games they play. Or even, even just, you know, you can sometimes see the child that looks like they've kind of lost their innocence or they've lost, you know, they, they're hardened, right? It's like, well, mm. why? You know, there's got to be a history of abuse there if they've, if their, if their spirit is broken, you know what I mean? Like you can, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. And that's a hard one though. I mean, cause first time parents or, you know, like my daughter's 12 now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know, you know, she's, <laughs> I do know, like we do have conversations about what she's listening to and she'll play me like her music list or something, but I would do what I think every average parent would do like, Oh, they otherwise seem fine. So I mean, that's well, what just their friends are doing or something, you know, and, and I don't know, like, how would one even really know the difference? I mean, that's a tough one. I think, you know, you can like, you often see the kids walking around when they're kind of dressed in dark goth or, you know, black, everything's black, right? Like to me, that's a scream for attention, right? Probably. Oh, wow. My daughter just took a photo shoot and she looks like that. <laughs> that's, not, that's not her norm, right? That's not. Like, yeah. And I'm using that as it. an example. If you have a sudden drastic change in behavior like that, right? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, co um, combined with the other thing that I mentioned, like, you know, she all of a sudden hates you. Well, nothing happened between us that she should hate me, except in their mind, they might be thinking, well, you made me go there. You didn't protect me. I right. tried to tell you I didn't want to go there, you know, that kind of thing. So, right. yeah. And I don't, I have no idea what my, my life experience was or what, whether it's stories or anything else. I have no idea, but. I've always been really weird about because my daughter is a girl and it's, I'm going to tell you the total bias. I'm not sure that I would have thought the same as a boy, but if mm -hmm. there's ever a bathroom in a public place, I'm, I literally go into that bathroom, check that bathroom to see, is it a single stall where she locks it in and I can watch the outside door? Is it multi-stalled? Like I'm weird like that. And some people think I'm crazy, but I'm like, you know what? My rule of thumb is you can't undo shit. So I'd rather be the psycho to not have to try and undo that for the rest of her life. Cause who knows? And I can't protect her. She goes to school. She does things. She knows people, you know? And you know, I, Kristen, that's, that's wonderful. I don't think that's crazy or ridiculous at all, but the reality is 90 some percent of sexual crimes are committed by people that the children know and love. Know. So yep. these are the ones that you're giving away. You're saying, Oh yeah, you can take my daughter on a ski trip for the weekend. Sure. We've known you forever. You've been safe for three years, but that's what they do. Yeah. Yes. I know that's hard. Sorry. There was one more thing that I wanted to add to that was you were saying what to watch for. Like, there's always going to be that opportunity for the perpetrator. Well, not always, but okay. I'll explain that afterwards. But like lots of times it will be, they try to get your child alone, isolated from the pack. So opportunities where it's like, I'm going skiing with your daughter and it's just going to be the two of us and we'll stay in a hotel room together. And it sounds ridiculous, but parents let their kids do that. You know, you know, four of us were supposed to go and three of them canceled, but I still want to go. I don't want to disappoint your daughter. Meanwhile, it's a whole setup, right? right, right. That none of the other kids are available or something like that. Right. You know, but even having said that, like I worked with a client who 
it was a family friend and this family friend used to come watch movies with them and he would always have a blanket and he'd always be cuddling with a different kid, but he'd always be fondling them under the blankets. And I guess one of the girls disclosed. So the police came and they asked all the other girls if they'd been abused and they all had been, and they all admitted it, but nobody asked him. And he had been too. Wow. Do you find that common in perpetrators to hit both male and female at a younger age like that? It just depends on the offender, right? Like I would say it's not that unusual, but there's, there's situational or opportunistic offenders, right? So Mm. situational opportunistic or preferential, the preferential ones are usually going to put all their energy into, um, you know, getting targets in their age of preference. Whereas the opportunistic is, any opportunistic right like whatever I can get away with right that's so interesting let me ask you um what's kind of been your biggest challenge being a woman in this space and speaking with men do you find you know what what has it been been your biggest challenge if any so far I honestly haven't had that many but I have had a few like you know I, I I'll be honest like I'll use opportunities like things in the media to say, Hey, look, I told you this is happening. Right. And a few times I've had snotty comments, like you just want to sell your book, you know, and I'm okay, guilty. You know, I wouldn't mind recouping the 40,000 I spent on my book. And, but I also want to sell my book because people need to know this is going on and be educated. So that's honestly the only ever negative thing I've had. Like, I mean, I have had people kind of, especially male survivors be like, if they, it's probably especially if their offenders have been female, be very mm. reserved to want to trust me. And like, why did you get involved with this? But you know, when people hear my story, shoulders drop. It's like, oh, okay, you got a legit reason for being involved in this. <laughs> That's interesting. How often, if you know the answer to this, like statistically, are men abused by women sexually? You know, last I looked, it was at least 30 to 40% of the reports. But I honestly think we're going to see an increase in those numbers. I, like, that's just yeah. it. We don't have reliable data because boys and men still are not coming forward near as much as what's out there. And, and besides the obvious reasons for that, what do you think are some of the other reasons for that? I mean, obviously societal, you know, emphasis there, right? But, but what, what could be some of the other reasons that maybe they're not so forthcoming? Well, that, and that's, well, my whole book is about that. So it's not a short answer, but, um, you know, they're confused, obviously, right? Lots of times they like their perpetrators. Sure. Um, and of course their bodies respond physically. So they feel like if they got an erection that, oh, I must've liked it. And, and of course the offenders work really hard to make them think that lots of times offenders will target children that, you know, their parents have a need. For example, mom's got MS or one of the other children is like got some pretty serious physical ailments. So all of their attention is being directed at that person and making the victim an easy target to them. Then the victim often feels like mom and dad just have so much on their plate. I can't do this to them. Like I can't bring my stuff because they got so much on their plate with my sister or my mom's health issues or whatever. Mm. Physically, emotionally afraid of their perpetrators is another reason. Um, You know, like there's lots of threats and stuff involved sometimes. Fear that things could get worse, you know, if they're being perpetrated on by someone in the house, like a bio parent, you know, if they go into foster care, they could get abused again. So there's this like, well, at least I know my perpetrator kind of thing. And right. Lots of reasons. Like one of my guys said, or two of my guys said, like, I knew I wanted to go to college and have a better life for myself. If I would have reported my parents, there goes my gravy train to college. Right. Like, right. And that's honest, you know, like that's a fair that's, thing. Yeah. Yeah. What's going to happen to me. Right. That's exactly what do I become if I can't afford university. Right. Yeah. 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 Interesting. 
another big one, Christian, is like they don't understand the damage that it actually did until way later, or they just they just try to ignore it because research shows that boys and men won't talk about things that they don't hear other boys and men talking about. So mm. they don't want to be thrown out of the village kind of thing, right? Right, right. And that makes sense. That makes total sense. Let's switch gears a little bit really quickly. So as obviously a businesswoman, a doctor who owns her own practice, um, what's kind of been your biggest challenge currently in light of COVID, COVID-19, or just as a whole? Well, I'm swamped, I guess, because I do support a lot of the first responders and stuff. So mm. um, I guess my my biggest hurdle right now is not getting enough time nor energy to promote my book. And mm. you know, I, I honestly, I guess I was a bit naive again. I just thought that it was going to sell itself, that people would find out about it and it would just, you know, fly off the shelves and that people would be telling Such each every other. Every writer is naivete. I mean, come on, because you're so all about what you're writing, right? Yeah. So why do I have to learn every lesson the hard way though. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't. I mean, there's a lot of um services out there that can push out your book for you. Uh yeah, of course they cost money, but there's I have I'll email you some people that you can talk sure. to. Um, for, yeah, Sorry. for the self-published individuals that get it pushed internationally. Okay. Uh, and also you can also talk to certain PR agents because as long as you go on some kind of network, right? Um I have some PR agents you could talk to as well. Um, Actually, I have somebody who works with Dr. Oz, who's his person for his show. And this might be a topic that they might be interested in. You're pursuing my dream, Kristen. I would love to make a movie or a Netflix series or something, right? Like, Well, so wait, so what stops you? Because you know what? You can take this and talk to network writers, get a writer. There's actually a writing group. I'll introduce you to that too. Write, yeah, write this down and then send me an email and I'll hook you up with everybody I know. Um, there's actually, yeah, in fact, that's how I got through to the Netflix people the first time, because they don't talk to you unless you have an agent for the actual thing, which makes a lot of sense. Right. But their people are so willing to hop on and be like, okay, what we're looking for is, and they're very not specific, which is kind of cool. It's a little scary when you're like, well, does it fit? I don't know. Right. But it's, it's cool because it's kind of carte blanche. And if you develop a relationship with them, they, they give you feedback. Like somebody from Scott Free Productions told us that like our heroine of the story becomes not likable so that we have to add something to it because, you know, in the beginning you're like all about her and she's like, this is a great story. I'm all about her. But then all of a sudden it kind of like drops off where I kind of feel like, well, why are you still doing this? You're now you're just an asshole and we can't have you lose the faith in the main character. Right. So I was like, oh yeah, if her kid's dead, then nobody cares what she's doing. Right. So I was like, you know, right. (laughs) (laughs) but you know so so it's great because even getting the feedback you can tweak it and try again tweak it and try again and and yeah just yeah write it down send me an email send my team an email they'll forward it to me and i'll make sure i put you in touch with with the people i know that would be wonderful yeah and i would would say like i have no connections i don't know anybody (laughs) i'm just i'm a small town redneck girl from southern saskatchewan who had a dream and pursued it you know like well good for you it's gonna go it's it's you know you have a book out you're helping all these people come on um yeah i don't know i'm weird my daughter always always will travel will travel internationally and somehow we always run into somebody or somebody i know and we always end up having this great time and it's always like super weird and fancy and she's like how do you know people i'm like i don't know 
I'm like, I'm just crazy. Like, I'll just talk to anybody. I don't really care. I'm like, and it, it ends up being somebody who I don't know who the hell they are until I like go back and Google them. I'm like, oh. Well, you're, you know, living in the States, I want to say you guys have a lot more industry around that than we do up here, right? Like, there's, And I live yeah. in Manhattan. Yeah, wow. So, well, yeah. Very cool. <laughs> so everybody's kind of right here at some point in their life. It's like, um, but yeah, I mean, so tell me what's your process. So tell me a little bit of process of how you overcome any challenge. Right. So just curious, like you must have at this point, some kind of processes, like when you're, when you started out your practice, what's your process when it maybe didn't go the way you thought with this book, like, you know, even (laughs) writing it. Right. Yeah. To be truthful, it's my faith. Honestly, like there's been some really yucky things happen to me and, you know, like, like, you know, and I pray about it and, you know, fortunately I've, I've gotten the answers through that. So honestly, it's my faith really. Like, I want to say I got kicked out of my last private practice because they wanted me to take the word Christian out of my bio and I refused. And I oh, prayed good for you. That's interesting. Yeah. It's the first time I've said that out loud on live, but it was basically. And, um, yeah. uh, I mean, I recorded the whole thing, right? Like I was like, I knew, I knew something was coming and I just pressed record on my phone and put it in my briefcase and then went into their little voluntary question period time. And, you know, they were super hardcore challenging me about my Christian clients and, you know, just how I handle things. And, and I mean, I, I totally understand what they were, where they were going, but I just like, you guys can just flat out and ask me, talk to me. And I don't know. Anyways, it just, it got really ugly. And thankfully I had, I had a suspicion that it was coming, whether that's a Holy spirit warning me or what, but I just like got on my knees raw. I'm like, God, I'm just like totally torn here. What is going on? And I heard him say, I'm moving you. So I was like, okay, as long as your hand is in it, I don't care what happens. Right. Like get me out of here. If you don't want me at this practice, that's fine. Right. But that was, it was huge for me because it was like reliving what I had gone through in the RCMP, you know, the bullying getting, you know, basically I lost my career to bullying. Basically. I mean, I always kind of thought they kicked me out. Like, I mean, they didn't, they offered me a couple crappy jobs as punishment for whistleblowing. Right. But I, yeah, I told right. them on sand. So yeah. <laughs> I, I had said to one supervisor, I said, if I had an ounce of self-respect left, I'd get the hell out of here. And he goes to me, I think. <laughs> so I was like, Oh, oh. I was like, yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll leave now. <laughs> yeah, I was like, thank you. <laughs> I guess I need permission, right. That's awesome. Oh my God. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, what's really funny is I I'm going through that right now with my team because I do swear. And, you know, I am in the process of, um, this book proposal going out called becoming unfuckable. And I have it on Amazon, but it wasn't ever like pushed out into the media because it was really for my clients, like a supportive thing that I do with my clients and kind of giving them extra practices. Like, I don't think one size fits all. And I think it's going to click for you. So I kind of like throw a lot of stuff out there, you know, when I'm working with them individually, we can test them one by one and see what works. But when, you know, someone's trying to pick up some other stuff and all that stuff. So I I put that out there and, you know, it's a, it's a question. And it, I faced it when I was being asked by this massive international law firm to come in and speak on a four topic engagement and when the CEO researched my name and found, you know, the word unfuckwithable associated with it, he was like, no. Now, of course, it's like law firm. So we're talking about some 60-year-old white male from the Midwest who, who 
can't handle it and doesn't get half of their law firm. But he also did get the other half of their law firm. When you're thinking about professionals, possibly from the Midwest with a, with a, with a, you know, and I'm not saying all Christians aren't going to swear, but like with a very solid Christian background, um, I could totally understand that. Right. But it then becomes the question of, you know, I had to face this twofold, like, do I change it so I can reach more people and educate? Right. Do I, right. That's a book, honey. That's all you do. You well, that's what I did. Now it's like unshakable. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I did. But then it's kind of like, you know, we're even going through this now with my girl on fire podcast, the one that you're on right now, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're going through rebranding and we're like, well, you know, what's, what's the name? Is it still the name? Like, what do we do? And then, you know, are we making people unfuckwithable or what are we doing with them? And it's, you know, it's like, well, wait, I don't know if we could use that word. And then it's like, well, wait a second. That's part of my soul. Like, that's like my soul journey for people. Like, I want you to become unfuckwithable, right? Whether that's in business or life. And it's kind of like, you know, so, so we're going through that right now. And I kind of, I kind of like the fact that you prayed about it and you, you got the message in time to know, like, Hey man, it's okay. It's easy, right? It's not supposed to be hard. You know, I hate this word hard. It's like, no, I'm like, it was still hard to go through, but I didn't yeah. have to, I didn't have to get paralyzed in that fear. Right. Yeah. I, I just know that there's something big for me out there. Right. Like he's got a plan. Yeah. <laughs> right now I think I'm just supposed to be resting and <laughs> yeah. You're like sleep. Damn it. <laughs> Balance. COVID is, COVID is hard on us. Right. Like, I mean, I, you know, I'm sure you're doing zoom with clients and stuff for the first six months. That was so exhausting. Right. Yeah. I'm fortunate. Like I worked from home most of the time anyway. I mean, other than the people here in New York, maybe out in California and maybe in Florida and flying to them sometimes for the most time I I would do it through zoom. Like zoom actually bought out the company I used to do it through called ring central. So for me, it was a much easier transition. And my daughter's school has been amazing. At first I was kind of like bummed. I'm like, why so rigid? Like at the beginning, like give them some time. Why do they got to get up at nine? Now I'm so glad they go from nine to three and it's been like on point since day one. Cause I'm like, oh, it's good now. <laughs> like, you know, um, too. <laughs> yeah. So they, they knew way better than I did. And it, it's been amazing. So before we leave, what is something that you would like to leave the listeners with besides yeah. go buy the book? <laughs> No, that, that's not my message. You know, sometimes we got to go against the norm, right? Um, I mean, I'm going against the norm, right? Like the norm has been, shh, don't talk about that, right? I'm like, are you kidding me? We got to talk about this. Yeah, I mean, I guess, oh, I guess like as a, as a female entrepreneur, I would say follow your dreams no matter, you know, you don't have to care what other people think about you, right? Like, I mean, one of my, one of my supervisors in school specifically told me not to specialize in this, like not, well, she, she meant like not, don't put all your eggs in one basket because you'll go, you'll starve to death, which, you know, for a while I would have now, maybe not because I'm getting a lot busier with this and speaking engagements and clients and stuff. But, you know, I mean, as far as, um, yeah, as far as my overall message, just like, we got to create awareness. Like I can't do this alone. Like we got to Like, this isn't about me. This is about like boys and men, boys and men. So yeah, yeah like, like join me, talk about it. Even if you just say, Hey, I saw this cool podcast to intro the topic, right? Like, please do this. We need it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we're going to need it a lot more in the future as I think more of it comes to light. And I think people feel more, well, for not comfortable, but more okay yeah. with speaking about it. Um, I think you touched upon this earlier. The numbers are going to change. The yeah, I mean, I just got a phone call yesterday from a doctor associated to the Boy Scouts 
um, lawsuit, right? 83,000 victims. Are you kidding me? Over a hundred years, 83,000 victims. And there's more, there's more yeah. than that. There's more than that. The ones that are coming forward. I said, give me the stats on how many boys have gone forward versus how many we know are known victims, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. All right. Well, awesome. Listen, I'm probably going to have you back because there's so much more to talk about. Uh, I know this focus, you know, this one was a little bit focused more on sort of your journey. Um, We did get a little bit onto the topic here, but I think it's a really important topic. You know, I mean, there's so much going on. There's so much that's going to come up, I think, in the very near future. Um, So I'm sure I'll have you back. And that's it. Thank you so much for your time. I love it. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. So that is it for this week. Thank you for joining me. And I hope that you enjoyed today's show. If so, don't forget to rate it. If you guys have a pressing question, feel free to tweet me at CS Thrive or on Instagram at Thrive Tribe 3.14159. Again, I know that's a weird one. It's just pi. So it's three, it's Thrive underscore Tribe underscore 3.14159. Or of course, you can join me in Facebook at my free group, which is Thrive Tribe Global. If you just search groups and you enter in Thrive Tribe Global, you should see us there and you can join it for free. I answer your questions in there, but if you guys send me a question through there, I will be sure to answer it here on this podcast. And as always, if you're ever interested in advertising on the show, please contact the Believe Network at Believe, B-L-E-A-V, at believe.com. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.